greetings and salutations <laughs> is what I meant to say. Uh, I got I got hijacked there. Uh, why don't you? Uh, you're so eager to start the show. Why don't I, you start? I just it? say hello. Is what I say. Yeah, no, but that hello. means you now own the intro. I, I don't See think if you it's can do true. it. I don't think that's true. Well, you have your notes in front of you. That I don't do that off of notes. You usually do. I don't. I only have the ad reads on notes. I am suspect. I mean, you can you can look at my computer if you wish. I like mm, it's no thanks. Mm, I don't. Yeah. I don't want to know what's on there. That's probably fair. Um, <laughs> Hello and welcome. Yeah, there you go. You're almost doing it. I was about it. to say the latest episode of the Jabot podcast. Oh yeah, no, it's not. This it's is not the Jabot. Though no, people not. should uh, should also always check, check out the Jabot, the other show that Catherine hosts. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. That is Catherine Rubino from Above the Law, and we are here to catch you up on the week of legal shenanigans out there. I guess, which is uh, the new uh, world of thinking like a lawyer, though. You know, the other day, I'll give a shout out once I look up who they are here. Um, it, not that I don't know who they are, but I don't remember the, formal, the exact yeah. formal thing here. But uh, the other day, I was talking to some folks and uh, on Twitter who had recorded a podcast that kind of followed sort of the original format of this show way back Which when for, Ellie and for, I did it. for newer uh, listeners of the podcast was what, Joe? Yeah, they were having a conversation about like, how the law would operate in fictional settings, uh, which in the very early days of this show, Ellie and I would would interview somebody and then at the end provide some entirely ridiculous scenario or ask them like, what torts might Gandalf have against somebody in uh, Hobbit? You know, like we, we would ask these sorts of fantasy questions and have people sort out the law as it would apply to these areas. And uh, yeah, and I saw a version of, let's see here, the the Legal Theory blog had a little write-up that talked about uh, the the fictional world of upload and how the law would operate in that. So check out the Legal Theory blog. Uh, I thought it was cool. And they they reached out and were like, this kind of brings back the original. Oh, I remember what we yeah, used to Yeah, and I was do. like, oh, good. People remember that, that <laughs> our old school days. More than 200 episodes ago. Yeah. Speaking of old school, Justice Scalia was in the news this week, um, mm. which is hard to do when you've not Died. been alive yeah. for several years. Yeah. But Justice Scalia was in the news as a new note published in the, I believe, the University of Virginia Law Review. I, right, I'm right. going to have to check that. Yeah, no, um, chronicles kind of the history of a Supreme Court case involving the University of Virginia. And in the historical research of this, the author turned up a letter, should we say, like, a petulant letter, uh, I think. Uh, a, petulant, I think, is an accurate descriptor. A real petulant letter from Justice Scalia to the university on the occasion of them thinking of honoring him with a award and him complaining that, I believe this school was very unfair to my children who didn't get in. But some to- of his kids did get in, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Just- well, I mean, he had nine, right? So. Sure. Was sure. it nine or seven? I can't remember. A it, bunch. A bunch. A bunch. A quiverful, as, the, as one says. <laughs> oh! Um, Slightly different religion, but sure. Yeah. But yeah, so several of them did get in, but two of them didn't. And like just the statistics, I mean. I mean, they're I not mean, all going to be. They're not all going to be winners. Like you, you, you Xerox copy something enough times and a couple <laughs> of them aren't going to make it. But so two of them don't get into a prestigious school. He, of course, sees bias here because he can't see it anywhere else, apparently, or couldn't see it anywhere else. I mean, else. that is that is the truly remarkable part. Uh, I mean, if you look at his jurisprudence, he can't see discrimination 
anywhere except when it comes to his own children. Then right. it must have been something untoward why his kids didn't get in, but not when, you know, historically disenfranchised people don't get in. Right. In some ways, this, it kind of unintentionally strikes at the core of what's going on with anti-affirmative action thinking. It's mm-hmm. that anything that might suggest that, you know, it's like he even in the letter says, I didn't expect special treatment, but, and and the but issue is, the issue is, it's baked into the status quo assumption of normality in his mind that he would be receiving special treatment. Mm-hmm. Uh, that oh, I, well, it's that not. He's... It's not that he didn't get special treatment. It's that he always had and didn't here. Um, that and, sort of situation. But it's also that his children must be good enough, smart enough Obviously. to get in, as opposed to just there's a lot of people who are applying to the University of Virginia. Yeah, and sometimes your people don't get in. It's not necessarily anything bad about them, but there's a lot of people they have to make a class that's balanced. And, you know, sometimes you don't get it. These things happen, yeah. These things happen. But to just say, oh, well, sometimes you don't get everything you want. Something must have gone wrong. There must be something untoward about it. Like, there must, that is ridiculous. And this, I mean, listen, this is said by people much smarter than me, that this is sort of baked into the ideas of whiteness, right? That, like, you assume that if you don't get exactly what you want, it must be something's gone wrong with the system as opposed to seeing all the privileges and benefits that you have received up to that point. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, the case that the note was originally about that the it was un it was discovered from Scalia was in fact the deciding vote, right? That he ruled yeah. against the University of Virginia. Yeah. No, and yeah, and the, yeah. he did not recuse himself despite having just written this hissy letter about how he would never deal with yeah. the University of Virginia again, not now, not ever. He backtracked on that in the future. Surprisingly, he was not truly committed to his words. I mean, this just, besides everything else we've said about it, it also makes it very clear that we need clear recusal rules, right, when it comes yeah. to the Supreme Court, as opposed to, like, well, tell us how you really feel. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. The only last thing I would say on this uh, mm-hmm. introduction before we get into our real topics for the day is uh, we mentioned the University of Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a strong run in the finals of our uh, Law Review contest. Yes. But uh, we will congratulate NYU, who actually did win mm-hmm. the uh, annual Law Review contest for us. Uh, Check it out. I mean, listen, NYU's always a strong contender in the Above the Law Law Review contest. And but I, I thought I thought UVA would take it this I, year. I was really impressed by they, their it, I mean, they were both entry. very good. They were both very good, and they both featured uh, Megan Thee Stallion's songs, as right. we mentioned, I think, in a previous cast. But I was very impressed by both of them. University I, of Texas was also in the finals. Right. They had a very good uh, Hamilton, Hamilton bit. Yeah. I, and I'll, I'll, I'll give an extra shout-out if people we didn't really write a runners-up column this year, but mm-hmm. we have a practice of only putting in the finals people, I mean, one entry per school, right. and uh, Virginia's second entry would have probably made the finals had they not done the first <laughs> Had they gone one. to a different so, school, yeah. So mm-hmm. we'll give Virginia the credit of winning the Constructors' Championship there. They had two very good teams, <laughs> uh, very good entries. Uh, so let's start off by hearing from our friends at Lexicon and then uh, get into some uh, some topics. Here's a message just for the attorneys out there. So you passed the bar, joined a firm, or even built your own. Now are you finding out that you're doing more administration than actual law practice? Lexicon can help. Lexicon is a legal services and technology provider with over a decade of experience streamlining administrative tasks like timekeeping, HR, billing, client intake, and more. So you can focus on maximizing billable hours and increasing client satisfaction. Call 855-4-LEXICON or visit lexiconservices.com slash go to learn more. 
All right. So we've been practicing law over Zoom for well, we haven't been practicing. We've been writing, but right, we've been given the gift of (laughs) of lawyers practicing over Zoom. Uh, It hasn't been great. It is not. In fact, we had a whole competition about this. We had a bracket competition of the most epic Zoom fail. It worked out that that uh, I'm not a cat thing won, which. Was, you know, was an adorable Zoom fail. There have been, yeah. I think, worse Zoom fails, but they're not as funny, perhaps. Right. I mean, yeah. I, I really thought that... Um, I think the definition of worse is is a personal one, and not everyone thinks the same. Yeah, I, okay. I thought that Jeffrey Tubin had put in a lot of manual labor to be oh! the, number, the, the winner, but wasn't. <laughs> um, but hey, that, that was us. Well, there was a new uh, Zoom issue that has come up yes. that was not in time for us to be part of this right, competition. Right, because it just happened. Uh, and interestingly, it came from the same courtroom. Same courtroom, yeah. Uh, Judge Jeffrey Middleton um, from Michigan. Uh, he actually had a whole uh, section of the bracket that was dedicated to his courtroom, I believe, in the in the bracket, because yeah. this is not the first time something has gone terribly off the wall in his court. Room. So I think part of the issue is that he puts his courtroom recordings on a website after they happen. So it's a it's a minefield that we can just right. <laughs> we can keep going back to. And now that it's happened a few times, I think that folks are are looking for more problems uh, in the courtroom. But it, I, it still is weird. Like I understand that maybe there are problems going on every day that we aren't seeing. I think that that has to be true. But I mean. This guy's track record <laughs> at this point, it, it, like it, yeah. it, statistically, I can't imagine every court is having it nearly as badly as this guy is. I don't. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, All right. Well, but, okay. But so he was not happy. Uh, I, I watched the the full recording of what happened in his courtroom. Well, what happened? A defendant logged in to the virtual courtroom with an unfortunate moniker. Okay, so I'm I'm sure it was just like. Um, it was something kind of mild and like mm. not really problematic. It, what 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 happened? It was Buttfucker three thousand. Oh dear! Yikes! Yikes! Mm. Yeah. Um. I mean, and as I said, I watched the clip, and the poor defendant looked horrified by everything that happened. He was like, "I didn't type that in," but I typed two thousand. <laughs> no. Uh. So okay. Yeah. No. He um. He said that uh, his sister had set up his account and had uh, he had no no knowledge of it. And obviously, you know, it's problematic not just for using expletives, but also right. because it's a slur. Yeah. But certainly can be, and certainly can often is, and, and the prurient interest in it is largely because it is. Yeah. Go sure. on. Sure. Well, and also just the expletive, but yes, there's yes. lots of problems with using that username, and he it was it was not great. The judge was very very angry, kicked him out of the courtroom, was like, "Let's see if you could figure this out." Kicked him out. Uh, he logged back in with his actual name, uh, so that was that was a distinct improvement. And you know, I, I mean, who knows what this guy's actual name was? Maybe it wasn't. It was, uh, but no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it was his name? So on that on that Bob Hitler, and it's like, oh wait, wait a minute, yeah, go on. Uh, the judge was much happier. Uh, and I think the fact that he was so obviously, genuinely chagrin over the entire episode uh, <laughs> helped because he, he pled guilty to some charge, had to pay a fine. But the judge said before ending his appearance that you better tell your sister she almost got you thrown in jail. He was about to you know, throw the book at at the defendant and send him into jail for, for contempt of court. But uh, his... <laughs> <laughs> he was obviously horrified about uh, everything that happened. 
Yeah. On the other hand, from the sister's perspective, that would have been hilarious. Uh, (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. uh, Look, I just feel like any sister who's doing this sort of thing to their brother probably would find that hilarious. Well, sure. But, you know, you don't know when the sister necessarily said I didn't have a sister, but I assume they're vindictive. I don't know. Listen, no, but the point is that, you know, she might have set up his Zoom for like a friend hangout and thought that was funny. Well, I would assume so. I would assume it was not for the purpose of going to court. But, but Although. Although maybe because <laughs> he seemed to have no idea about usernames or anything. He seems genuinely befuddled in the video, which uh, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? In a lot of ways, it's just a redux of the I'm not a cat video. Yeah. Uh, a, a cute instance where the person didn't understand how usernames worked and filters. <laughs> yeah. So, something like that. Uh, yeah, I know. But, but he almost got thrown into jail for contempt because of the prank gone awry. Yeah. Well, I which, mean... Uh, you know, listen, the- listen, we can kind of bring this around. Make sure if you're appearing in court or have any important meetings, make sure you know the technology that you're using. Wow, see, see, and and by the way, and and I think now that officially means that this podcast is worth uh, at least a CLE credit, right? (laughs) Practice practice pointers. Make sure you know how to use whatever, whether it's Zoom, whether it's Hangouts, whether it's, uh, what's the Microsoft one called? Teams. Whatever it is, I don't know that one. But fortunately, I don't have any meetings coming up God, on Microsoft Teams. Microsoft Teams is just kind of a... It's they really have the sad. best commercials, though. Yeah, it, but it's sad that a, an organization like Microsoft can't win this battle. Uh, like You would think that they would be I able to do I guess they didn't know I guess, it was I going to Bill be a battle. I guess Bill probably was concentrating on his marriage no, at the time. Oh, yikes. But the point is, and I mean, we didn't know back in 2019 or even early 2020 that this was going to be the technology battle that would define probably a decade. Yeah. Uh, but Zoom was there. They were ready. Yeah, and you know what's interesting is that I didn't, I think this is true, it didn't Didn't Microsoft buy Skype? You know, yes, they the, did. They the did. platform that yeah. theoretically should have won this whole uh, this whole moment in history and yeah, didn't. Yeah, they did, they did buy Skype. Uh, um, but, you know, it's funny. Like, I didn't even know what Zoom was until I went to some legal tech conference and somebody was referencing it in comparison to their product. Ah. <laughs> uh, and so then I was like, oh, wait, what? And so then when this all happened, I did have some familiarity with some of the tech because of this job, because of our sort of legal tech focus. You know where I first learned of Zoom? Where? From this show, uh, ah. when our producers <laughs> moved us over to Zoom from Skype uh, and said, eh, this works better. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but all right. Yeah, so, uh, yeah I guess the Jabot is also recorded over Zoom. So I mean, everything now, of, yeah. Well, yeah, but again, pre-pandemic. Yeah. Uh, but it... it both, it sh- both the Jabot and our show and the Legal Tech News. Uh, legal te- No, not Legal See, Tech News. See, you still legal don't tech know the week. name of it. No, well, Legal Tech News people are on it, but the Legal Tech Week. Journalist Roundtable, yeah. It sounds awkward when you say the name of the show you're on. See, on the other hand— It looks like, like you can actually see in your eyes that you are searching for the name. Like, you're like— eh. it's, In fairness, it's the problem with so many legal technology things going with the legal tech blank naming format. I don't know. But hey, I've, I've created engagement among— listeners who will have to you know who've now since we've talked mm. about it so much it's like increasing like no it's like no bad pr you know uh, well i mean there's a little, a little bit of bad pr bit. um like if you let your sister go into your zoom account <laughs> yeah so uh i guess to switch gears have you wondered 
how law firms have weathered previous economic downturns that come out stronger on the other side. LexisNexis Interaction has released an in-depth global research report confronting the 2020 downturn lessons learned during previous economic crises. Download your free copy at interaction.com slash like a lawyer to see tips, strategies, plans, and statistics from leaders who have been through this before and how they've reached success again. So speaking of law firms, then, uh, let's talk about Ropes and Gray. Uh, They made an announcement that they are, when they come back from the problems with the pandemic, that they are not going to be going to a full five-day work week. Right. Well, let me rephrase. Five-day work week in the office. Right. (laughs) Let's be clear. People will be working at least five days a week. Yeah, that's very much how that goes. I mean, lawyers have a seven-day work week now, right? So five days in the office uh, versus four days in the office really doesn't change all that much. But it is a sign of a changing trend that we've talked about a lot on the website and here. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks for adding a lot to that conversation. Uh, uh, you seem like you were on a roll. I wasn't yeah, sure no, you yeah, needed I mean, me yeah, here. No, just, you're such a generous improv partner. Yeah, no, the uh, but yes, we've talked a lot about what's been going on and the ways in which commercial real estate uh, may well change as these firms see an opportunity to dump office space as and transition to a world in which they recognize that more and more lawyers are capable of working remotely. And that they've made huge investments in the infrastructure of allowing attorneys to work remotely over the last year uh, that they don't want to go to waste. So uh, this... This may not be the last of these announcements that we see, uh, mm-hmm. but, it, it, but it is a, a fairly big one to see a major firm like this make this a public announcement. Yeah, and I think that we're seeing a, a variety of responses to what's going to happen when we come back. But it seems unlikely that requiring five days a week in the office will become the norm. I think that, you know, as you've mentioned in the past, that firms will have made this investment in the online infrastructure and that stuff is not going to go to waste. Uh, And, you know, to give, and I think that particularly as we're seeing a hot lateral market, this is also a way that firms can position themselves relative to their competition. You know, do you have work from home priority, you know, are you going to be allowed to work from home? How many days do you have to go into the office? Uh, You know, particularly if, you know, there's folks who are commuting, you know, having to spend that time getting into an office as opposed to just doing the work is seen as a real benefit. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, no, I definitely think that we're looking at, uh, you know, we're on the cusp of change. And it's uh, it's interesting to see and it's going to be fun to see how it turns out. Men, you know, like the bean counters are always going to be looking to see ways to save money. And uh, this could be it to get rid of some space. Um, Mm -hmm. That said, you know, at the end of the day, you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of NOTA, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Enjoy peace of mind with one-click reconciliation, automated transaction alerts, and real-time bank data. Visit trustnota.com slash legal to learn more. Terms and conditions may apply. So, yeah, uh, I guess the final uh, topic of the day, uh, real quick, is that the bar exam uh, has... I think you're pretty salty about it. I am. uh, (laughs) As most things related to the bar exam these days. Yeah, so the bar exam has put out a new, uh, not bar exam, the NCBE, which is the National Conference Bar Bar Examiners, the, the organization that kind of 
claims to be a nonprofit and makes a bunch of money writing bar exams and forcing and, and states do them. And uh, it, it's quite the little monopolistic racket. Anyway, at the end of the day, this organization uh, has people in it who make tests and they are, you know, scientists whose job it is to make good tests. Sure. And, you know, that's all well and good. And those folks wrote an article uh, that was published in a journal for the spring issue that talks about ways to write a test to minimize racial bias, which is a laudable goal and makes a lot of sense. I totally, I, I'm totally on board with this thing. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, so, yeah, so I guess where I get salty on this is it feels as though you could write this article and say, look, there are a lot of problems in this world. We're not going to get into that. But here's how a test could be written to at least minimize the risk that the test itself contributes to this problem. Mm -hmm. Instead, what these folks decided to do, because they couldn't help themselves, is write an article that said, look, we're fine. Structural racism exists, but, you know, that's not really our fault. The reason when our test says that minority law graduates aren't capable of being lawyers, it's because we've written the perfect test and they just aren't capable. And so you just got to deal with that. It is a astounding doubling down, frankly, <laughs> uh, and one that was wholly unnecessary. I don't think anybody would have... Uh, look, there are a lot of criticisms of the bar exam on a lot of levels, many of which deal with the way in which minority attorneys, uh, uh, minority law graduates, I guess, mm -hmm. are treated by it. At no point do you have to get into that in a story about how to minimize the fact that the test per se is contributing. Mm -hmm. Because nobody's really complaining that, like, question three is biased on this test. They're complaining that the existence of the test in the first place as a sliding scale bar on whether or not people get into the into the profession mm -hmm. and therefore, you know, build the sort of representation and diversity of representation that then can translate to long-term advances. That's the problem. A world in which we have, because of the bar exam, major law schools more or less shrugging when it comes to improving diversity and instead shunting folks into law schools that then don't necessarily prepare them but take their money anyway. And then at the end, those folks are left with huge bills and not necessarily able to pass the bar. It's a compounding problem that the bar exam's mere existence creates and encourages. And their stance on a otherwise hyper-technical article about here's how we avoid writing bad questions, was turned into this apology for, not an apology, but, you know, the, the other, the way in which we talk about apology, mm -hmm. uh, like the more proper uh, definition of it, this apology for why it is that they get to exist and perpetuate systemic racism. It was, it was astounding and hilarious, and uh, hilarious in kind of the bad way, and that I just read it thinking, how did they think this they could write this and get away with it. Yeah, I mean, also, because as something else you've written about a lot is that, you know, when you look at uh, diploma-privileged jurisdictions like Wisconsin, where there is no bar exam, there isn't some crazy uh, spike in lawyer malfeasance or crimes committed by lawyers or any of the things that the bar exam is supposed to prevent people from doing, right? Yeah. It's, it's supposed to be like this gatekeeping kind of minimum competency thing. And we're seeing just fine results in jurisdictions that do not have the bar exam. And Wisconsin hasn't had the bar exam in a very and, long uh, time. Yeah, right. Forever, and yeah. everything's fine there. So it, if if you're 
even part of the problem, you need a better justification when the alternative is fantastic. Right. Well, and 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 which the NCBE people know, as they are all Wisconsin lawyers who <laughs> did not take I, bar yeah, exams. I mean, the, the irony of that never gets old. Yeah, it, it's really problematic. Anyway, so this is this is a continuing problem uh, mm-hmm. with the way in which the bar exam, I, the NCBE operates. Uh, it is never... The, the amount of resources they have are not spent on making the situation better, but on continually putting out faux scholarship or white papers that blame everybody but them for the problems that they are deeply complicit in. It's mm-hmm. it's a PR operation at this point more than a, than anything else of, of just putting out statements like, oh, you know, we're we're sorry that this happens and but we are not really involved with it. And it I mean. Like, Exxon puts out a more heartfelt apology on Earth Day than these people (laughs) put out for what's going on under their noses. And we've seen it. The numbers keep happening, and they just can't stop. And they they can't – they don't seem to see that the fact that it keeps on happening does not absolve the – like, that makes it worse. It it doesn't make it better. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we rocketed through a lot of things today relatively quickly, but that is all that we had prepared. So I guess we'll begin the process of wrapping up here. So thank you for listening to the show. You should be subscribed. You should give it reviews, uh, stars, as well as write something that helps with the algorithm and shows engagement. You should listen to the Jabot, as we already mentioned. You should listen to the Legal Tech Journalist Roundtable, if you are interested in legal technology, I'm on that too. You should listen to the other offerings of the Legal Talk Network. You should be reading above the law. As always, follow us on social media. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One, the numeral one. And uh, yeah, yeah. That, I think we're Peace. done. Peace.